For sports content from the biggest leagues and competitions across the world, look no further than Reuters Connect, Reuters online news content platform. Reuters Connect makes finding the sports content you need easy, whether it's in-depth reporting from Reuters journalists or access to video highlights from around the world. Bring the world of sport directly to your workplace with Reuters Connect. For more information and a free trial, visit ReutersConnect.com. Welcome to Keeping Score. I'm Rick Haro. Each week, we bring you insights from the playmakers, dealmakers, and rulemakers in the world of sports. I'll give you my take on some of the items of the week using my 30 years of experience doing deals for teams, leagues, and players. Plus, we'll talk with a central figure in the sports world. The views expressed in this podcast are my own and do not represent the views of Reuters. Let's get started. Sports professor Rick Haro inside the $1.3 trillion business of sports, and you are keeping score. Well... Everybody is almost back. NFL football right around the corner. College football starts last week in America. If you were to suggest that everybody knew that Central Arkansas beat Austin P at the Crampton Bowl in Montgomery, Alabama, it's correct, but not too many people knew that kicked off a turbulent college football season for 2020. U.S. Tennis Open starts, all of the other leagues continuing with fits and spurts, some better than others. And we'll continue to cover all aspects of the pandemic as it affects sports, plus the Sports Tech Minute, plus the Power of Sports Good Sports Minute, plus Enid Vienna's Lifestyle Minute, Sports and Streaming, and a whole lot more. But first, let's talk about the deals in sports 3 to 1. Three. Some 527 brands have spent close to a combined $100 million on advertisements during domestic broadcasts of live games since the U.S. major leagues resumed in the wake of the coronavirus pandemic, according to Media Radar. Platform found that 83% of the top 100 advertisers across the basketball, baseball, and hockey world purchased ad spots again for the return to play. The study noted that just five of the 17 companies that have not resumed advertising were in the top 50 for ads spent prior to COVID-19. Among those that have not yet returned, Microsoft, luxury goods firm LVMH, and online travel partner Expedia, advertising spent from the travel industry has dropped off dramatically compared to pre-COVID, with companies that in that sector affected by the restrictions in place due to the pandemic. Prior to the coronavirus, brands from the travel sector accounted at 2.1% for ad spend, but that's fallen to about 0.2% since the NBA, NHL, and MLB resumed. However, several organizations that were not advertising pre-COVID have started running ads. Quibi, business communication platform Slack, and the Joe Biden for President campaign, just to name three. And that's number three. Two. VSIN teaming with BetMGM in collaboration that includes the launch of the sports betting show Betting Across America in a multi-year partnership that includes a major cross-platform BetMGM marketing investment. The company will broadcast Betting Across America live from BetMGM Sportsbooks and Studios in large sports betting markets across the country, pending regulatory approval on weekdays from 3 to 5, starting August 31, and weekdays 1 to 3, beginning September 5. The mission of the company has always been to deliver the most credible information and odds on sporting events and allow sports bettors to make informed wagering decisions, said Brett Musburger, the founder and CEO. The company also revealed an expanded lineup, new shows, and additional talent heading into the most anticipated sports betting season in years. 
offering 100 live linear hours each week, adding several new shows and top industry talent to its broadcast, content, and production teams. And that's number two. One. The average NFL franchise now worth more than $3 billion, according to data compiled by Sportico. The Dallas Cowboys rank first at $6.43 billion. Cincinnati Bengals last at $2.12 billion, but no bake sale for the Bengals. Collectively, the fair market value of the league's 32 franchises, $99 billion. For comparison, more than the current equity value of Ford, GM, and Fiat Chrysler combined. The NFL team's total of $15.83 billion in revenue the last fiscal year was greater than that of 298 companies on the Fortune 500. That averages to about $495 million per team. Interestingly, the Cowboys, at the league's most valuable franchise, despite having failed to advance past the divisional round of the playoffs in 25 years. The high-value Jets, Bears, and Texans have all struggled on the field recently, too, although struggled is a relative term. The Texans made the playoffs and almost beat the Chiefs. While it seems odd that the business is reliant on selling media rights, product licenses, tickets, suites, and sponsorships haven't been regularly or negatively impacted by the lack of winning, the research service founder said that sizable national revenues and the NFL's policy of splitting game day revenues between home and away teams explain why on-field performances have minimal impact on team valuations and obviously more to come. And that's number one. Let's stay on a football theme and stay with the NFL only briefly because this individual did coach the Miami Dolphins for a couple of years, but that's not where he made his name. Nick Saban, 68 years old, and what a series of accomplishments. His yearly salary, nearly $9 million, not bad for a Kent State grad. His total record, 643-65-1. And that's not even the story. Remember Michigan State? Remember LSU? And obviously, he has a home in Alabama, his statue right next to Bear Bryant. Who knows who's bigger, the statue, but that's another issue. He's one of only two coaches in the history of the country to win four titles in seven years, six in all. This story, though, is a bit different. He was born in Fairmont, West Virginia. His dad was active in Pop Warner. He is a very charitable sort. He's got some great stories about perpetuating football at all levels. Aside of Nick Saban, Saban, you may never have seen in honor of the beginning of the college football season. Here's Nick Saban. So Pop Warner football was a big part of your dad's life. Tell us what you remember about growing up in West Virginia and being your your dad's son, basically. Yeah. Well, you know, I had great parents. I was very fortunate. But uh, any, any anyone out there that their dad has been their coach, you know, that, yeah, that, yeah, that's, yeah. that's an experience yeah. in and of itself. But my dad actually started Pop Warner football in our area in West Virginia. And it was a difficult area because we had like seven coal mining towns that were up in hollows and the players had a heart. They couldn't get to practice because we all got around hitchhiking, you know. I mean, and if the shift didn't change, yeah. there wasn't much traffic. So um, a lot of them didn't play sports. Uh, they didn't have the opportunity to get some of the lessons, life lessons that you can learn from playing sports. So my dad bought this little orange school bus, all right, and it had all these quotes like it's, you know, things that would help you be successful, like it's more important to be 
uh, nice than it is to be important. You know, things like that. that Did we're he buy the bus with the quotes on him or he put them no, on No, he put them all on there. <laughs> uh, but we would go to practice. He would go pick up everybody in all these hollows, take them to practice. We would practice, you know, take everybody home, take about 45 minutes. And, of course, I was the first one on the bus and the last one off because that was home. That was the home stop. He really taught us the importance of work ethic, investing in your time and something rather than spending it. Uh, you reap what you sow, perseverance, and how you have to continue to learn from your failings, uh, how to overcome adversity, you know, discipline to do things right. I mean, the, the old saying that I say all the time, you're going to suffer through one or two things in life, the pain of discipline or the pain of disappointment, that, that was on the bus. <laughs> it was there. <laughs> all right? So all these things go way back. Yeah. But the opportunities that that created, I mean, I know he had, uh, not outside of myself, three players that you know made All-American at Western University and graduated from college and had a lot better lives, and, and they may not never have participated uh, if it wasn't for that. And and I'm sure that if you ask any of them, they would say, just like me, that a lot of those things that I learned playing, the value of athletics is really, really important to developing a lot of the characteristics that help you be successful in life. Pride in performance, overcoming adversity. I mean, all kinds of things as a competitor that makes you have a much better chance to be successful in life. Your dad instilling uh, important uh, values with you and the sayings on the bus, but how did he and Pop Warner impact how you coach, how you coached before and how you coach today? Well, I, I think because I started at an early, early age, and the importance was always on fundamental execution. I mean, we, we, we won a whole bunch of games in a row. Like, I can't even remember how many. We didn't win any the first year, but after that we won them all. Uh, and, but all, the emphasis was always on fundamental execution. How well you block, how well you tackle. Um, and it was technical. You know, you had to technically do yeah. it correctly, yeah. which was the safest way to do it, too, which yeah. was important. All right, so, and to this day, you know, with all these schemes that everybody runs and RPOs and spread and this and that and all that, we're still always talking about fundamental execution. You know, if we can block better and we can tackle better and we can do the fundamental things more correctly, play better as a team, play together better as a team, um, execute. You know, I mean, that's what we they preached, you know, to us. Because we didn't probably have a whole lot of plays. You know, my sister's here because she has a grandson that goes to our camp, yeah. you know, right now. Yeah. Uh, and she has the playbook. It's simple, yeah. pretty simple. But, but we won on execution, and I still believe in that. Well, and, and the interesting thing as far as the dynamic of Pop Warner, even today in building the brand, it's, it's standing for consistency, certain values, safety as well. So you said safe. Talk about that for a little for a little while. Well, you know, we we've actually done something here, and we have a camp for young kids, eight through twelve, I think it is, where most people just have high school camps and try to use them to recruit. We're really trying to promote our game, 
but we're also trying to develop coaches. And one of the things that we've done in this young camp is we bring in a lot of Pop Warner coaches. We invite a lot of Pop Warner coaches to come in. And the primary reason is, is we want to teach them, you know, some technical aspects that will make the game safer for the players. Uh, and tackling is a big one. Uh, you know, you know, we teach near leg, near shoulder tackling, not hitting with your head. Yeah. All right. Well, that's really, really important. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, I, I think it makes the game safer. I think there's a lot of ways that you teach drills all right, where players don't have to be on the ground all right, and they can use their, their hands rather than their head all right, to minimize contact. Uh, and, I, and I think a lot of these things are really, really important. Um, most players that get hurt in football get hurt on the ground. You know, somebody's rolling around on the ground and somebody else falls on them or whatever. So to stay off the ground and teach people how to stay up. Um, th- these are all things that I think promote safety in the game. And, and I think the biggest mistake that we make in football is you don't have to have full contact to be able to get the benefit from the game. Yeah. You know, there, the, the, you, you can go out and, and practice seven on seven. Uh, you can practice routes on air. You can practice one on one. Uh, you can practice a lot of things and get a lot out of the game of football without having to have contact. And, and I think there's uh, certainly uh, been a lot of studies done on how much contact young people before they're 12 years old should have. Uh, and I think we should all uh, take all those things into account. And uh, we are going to do everything we can to promote better education in the coaches to teach the players safety in our game. As opposed to the politicizing, give up football, I'm not allowing my kids to play, it sounds like the secret sauce is the education early on. Well, that's, that's what we believe in, yeah. uh, because I think football is the greatest team game that there is, yeah. and um, I don't think it's a dangerous game, uh, but I think that it can be if it's not coached where people are doing the fundamentals correctly uh, and, and not putting their players in positions where they're going to get multiple, you know, head banging right, that could, you know, promote, you know, issues. Yeah. Uh, and I don't think that we have to do that to have a good game. And I don't think you have to do that to be a good coach. And there's a lot of these old-fashioned bow-in-the-ring type drills <laughs> that have no place in football yeah. right, that nobody needs to do. Uh, and that's one of the reasons that uh, we want to get as many of these coaches here and try to show them a better way. Uh, that they can be more effective in their teaching progression and actually create more safety for the player. Let's talk about the better way off the field. The Knicks Kids Foundation, what you've done with Terry as far as some of the issues, not only the capital improvements, but the tornado relief in Tuscaloosa. Talk about all of that from your perspective. Well, you know, that goes back to my dad, too, uh, because he didn't just pick these kids up. Uh, in that bus and take them to practice, you know, he sort of adopted them all. Yeah. All right, so when their basketball blew up, he took them to town and got them another one. Yeah. Uh, when the the rim at the church wasn't shootable yeah. anymore, he got him a new one. My mom always said, if you ever have the opportunity, you know, your dad's legacy was to help young people. You know, do something to do that. So Nick's kid stands for Big Nick, not Little Nick. I'm Little Nick. All right. But um, Miss Terry, 
uh, and the people who support Nick's kids have done a phenomenal job of, uh, I think, being able to create uh, a lot of positive things in our community. You know, we've done the 17 for 17, which is 17 homes that uh, we've rebuilt since the tornado for every national championship, and our players have contributed to each one of those homes. You know, we have day, yeah. player days where they come and work and uh, they give back to the community as well. We've uh, given over $7 million to um, children's organizations in the Southeast um, over the last, you know, 10 years. Um, you know, we, we, we do first-generation scholarships, uh, community center at the church. Um, we're building a juvenile a school with the the juvenile delinquent center um, to promote education graduating from high school and teaching a welding trade so these guys aren't repeat offenders they have something they can do in the community so um, all these things give us tremendous positive self-gratification by giving back helping other people um, don't really feel much that we do that makes us feel better than we when we uh, help someone else and you know my dad's old saying was no man stands as tall as when he stoops to help a child so um, that's what we tried to carry on and um, we're going to try to continue that in the future and we certainly thank all the people who have supported Nick's kids. And the first scholarship that Pop Warner ever named after a person specifically was Nick Saban's scholarship, and it's not you, it's your dad. It's my right? dad. How does it make that's you feel? Right. That's, that's great. It makes yeah. me feel great yeah. because it's, uh, it's all a part of his legacy. You know, it's all the things that was important to him, um, and I hope that, you know, people appreciate and remember that. How do you make sure that your kids, you recruit and have an obligation long-term, do the right thing, say the right thing, behave the right way off the field as well? Well, um, you know, our whole goal in the program here is to help our players be more successful in life uh, for having been involved in the program. So, you know, their thoughts, their habits, their priorities, the choices and decisions they make are going to go a long way to helping them create value. And that starts with the kind of person that they are, um, the kind of character they have, the kind of integrity they have, um, the kind of trust uh, you can have in them, uh, and that all comes from uh, the basic values that we try to establish that they have to buy into to really play and be to the standard as a person, as a student, and as a player that we would like for them to be. Uh, and we try to create a culture of accountability for them to do that. Um, but I'm very pleased and proud with the success that we've had, but those same things just so everybody's clear, uh, I had the opportunity to learn when I played Pop Warner. And I think that's the one thing that everybody should really, really focus on is if we don't have these kind of sports opportunities for our young people, where do they learn these things and what they do now? And, um, you know, in some cases, you know, kids don't even play outside anymore. Yeah. All right, but they will go outside for organized activities. And I think these organized activities, the commitment, the work ethic, the discipline, the focus, uh, all the things that you, you mentioned are really important. And where do you get that 
if you don't participate in something. You're on the greatest leaders in the history of the world list from Fortune magazine. It is kind of interesting. How much of that was intuitive and how much of that is just learned from heroes and history and you know where does that all come from? Well I think it started when I was young and I think it started with the lessons I learned from my parents. Uh, They had a high standard and high expectation uh, but they also had tremendous compassion for other people and it was always instilled in me that uh, you need to set a good example you need to be somebody that somebody can emulate Uh, that was the expectation but there was also an expectation there that you have to care enough for other people to help them for their benefit and the combination of those two things I think is the start fundamental start of being a leader because those two things are really important parts of being able to impact other people. And it was always about just do it for one person. I think a lot of people think leadership has to be a group dynamic. Mm -hmm. It's not. It's the power of one. It's one person affecting one person who affects another person, and then it just grows. Uh, So I think it started at an early age for me. Uh, And then I think I was really fortunate that I had some great mentors, you know, my high school coach, Earl Keener, Don James, my college coach, okay. fabulous, you know, example of what you needed to do to be successful and to be a good leader. Um, and so I feel very, very fortunate with those opportunities and then the opportunities I had as a coach to impact other people in a leadership position. And... Um, that's the one thing that I think I'll miss most about coaching is not being a part of a team and not being able to lead and impact other people uh, when the day comes that I can't do this, which I hope is not soon. You're a leader, you're a businessman, you're a philanthropist, you're a coach. How do you balance all of that? You know, I think all those things are just part of who we are. I mean, Terry and I both. Yeah, right. Uh, and she does a lot of the work. Um, I just do a lot of the fundraising. You do more than that. Okay, so. <laughs> Don't minimize it. You do more than that, okay? So, uh, but, but, well done. But, we're going we're to save this. We're going to give it to Terry. She'll see it. Yeah. She'll love this. So, but it is what I believe and what I want to do. Yeah. It just is hard to implement from a time standpoint. And she's a great partner to do that. And we have a lot of other people who have been very supportive from that side of it. But I've always remembered that this is my day job. All right, this yeah. is the real job, being a coach, having great relationships with the players, you know, recruiting good players into the program, bringing good people in the organization and helping them develop uh, to be successful is going to help us be successful. And um, we've always stayed focused on that. And we've been fortunate to have good partners, whether it's Terry and Nick's kids or, you know, Joe um, Agressi, my partner, mm-hmm. and, you know, some of the businesses and other folks that they manage that. You know, I, I, I don't take my time to do that um, because my priority is this program and our players, and that's what we're going to stay focused on. And um, then we're going to build a team of people to help us do the other things that we believe are important to the community and um, to our overall welfare and well-being of our family. It's kind of fun to end on this. So Minka Fitzpatrick writes a kind of farewell long letter. He says, thank you, Alabama. And he said, I chose Alabama because I wanted to be at a place that would push me to become the best version of myself I could possibly be. 
and man did it ever. You read something, you hear something like that, and I'm sure it makes you proud. No doubt. I mean, it really does. And that's what we want for our players. We want them to have a great experience here, feel like they've grown as people, uh, and that they have a better chance to be successful in life on and off the field. Um, And um, I think Minka probably is one of those guys that will be a tremendous ambassador because of the experience he had here. And I think that's a basic fundamental part of having great tradition which has always been something that makes Alabama special. Well, as you continue to go through the maelstrom of college football as it evolves, you don't need me or anybody else to say this, but just stay the way you are. Thank you very much. Thank you, Rick. Appreciate Appreciate it. Interesting. You position Nick Saban as a tremendous taskmaster with a heck of a lot of respect all over. You may not know that side of Nick Saban, but it's real nonetheless. How about the Tech Minute? Well, when you think about some of the issues that Sports Radar has gotten into, their Integrity Services has launched an industry-first solution to support sports organizations in safeguarding pro athletes from trolls. Their Intelligence and Investigation Services team, according to a company release, identifies individuals based on anonymous troll or burner accounts used to direct abuse toward athletes via social media, as well as providing a high-level activation and location of the troll Sport Radar team builds a picture of how that individual conducts online abuse. The findings of the investigation are then shared with its partners, and further support is provided in pursuing an appropriate course of action, including the removal of abusive accounts and working with law enforcement to bring legal proceedings. The product was successfully used in a trial this summer at the Eco Tennis Series played in Germany, and the U.S. participating players from the ATP and WTA including Germany's Dustin Brown and U.S. Taylor Townsend, shared abusive messages they had received on social media. Following an investigation, Sport Radar provided event organizers with details of the problem accounts and set a recommendation course on the best course of action and best strategy. Important given the U.S. Open today, and that's your Tech Minute. Good Sports Minute, obviously a recap of the top stories as we've done before. Monkey Knife Fight partners with the Minnesota Twins to aid in COVID-19 relief. The effort is how you look at it. The initiative provides a silver lining for not having live fans. It's a fantasy sports platform and donating at least $10,000 to the Minnesota Twins community. And for the second straight year, the National Hockey League accepts applications for NHL power players. It's a unique and engaging way for the league to immerse the next generation of hockey fans into the sport by utilizing their feedback to think about thoughtful changes in their game. And obviously the NHL kids invested have a lot to say. Bridgestone Americas announced support for a three-month nonprofit adaptive sports organization's ongoing effort to help remove barriers in society and create advanced solutions that increase accessibility to all. Tire giants, strong ties to pro golf, football, and motorsports now making important tracks within pro and amateur adaptive sports as well. Esports, Gen G announced a million-dollar commitment to developing the next generation of leaders in the gaming industry, a scholarship to help build esports, and adding workforce of tomorrow, simultaneously training the leaders who will help guide that workforce today. And finally, 
Hurley, proud to announce its multi-year global partnership with Black Girls Surf, a performance training program and organization supporting girls and women of color whose dreams and career goals to compete in pro surfing. Africa, Brazil, Jamaica, and the U.S., and other places throughout the world through this partnership, black women not only get to work toward their professional surf dreams, they're empowered through education across the way, along the way, and through this program. That's your Good Sports Minute. Obviously, a lot of issues happening, not only with COVID, but also with social justice. And then, the last but not least, the Lifestyle Minute. Enid Vienna, as you know, a lifestyle expert and wellness writer, editor of the two websites, the evsocial.com, covering entertainment, wellness, fashion, and travel, and hamptonsmoms.com, which addresses all things family on Long Island's magical East End. She contributes content to various magazines and websites, such as Hamptons Magazine, artsugar.com, and she's insta at 3Social and Hamptons Moms, obviously an experienced writer and blogger for these topics. She joins us every week. You know that saying, she said, it could always be worse. That's really true in sports right now. It's the year 2020. We're in a digital space like never before. Platforms popping up daily, offering us live wine tasting, live video streams, and everywhere you can stream for work, stream for hobbies, stream for a virtual book club, even virtual food trucks. Streaming sports is the final frontier. And at least you know you get to stream. And, uh, obviously, John Rahm draining a wild 66-foot birdie putt to beat Dustin Johnson in a playoff on Sunday to win the BMW Championship, marking one of the craziest finishes on the PGA Tour this season. Suddenly, being able to watch virtual sporting events changes the game, pun intended. Whether you like watching cricket, rugby, polo, soccer, or football, You can do it from the comfort of your own smartphone, tablet, or smart TV. Streaming sports won't be going away anytime soon, so we might as well pivot and figure out how to make the best of it. It's been a few months, but remember the last time you were at a Ranger game? Uh, She says her kids almost bankrupted her by the first quarter in concessions alone by the time Kiss Cam started panning the audience, ready to offer to drive the Samboni for some extra cash. All right, but in all seriousness, almost 70% of sports fans across the U.S. are stating that they're willing to watch sports exclusively online streaming platforms. And with the amount of money we're all used to spending on concessions, it's no doubt that in lieu of live sports fans willing to reallocate disposable income dollars to watch their beloved sporting events and highlights online. And it looks like fans have spoken one way or another to give people what they want and that's live sports, streaming, here to stay in entertainment and lifestyle, and obviously a major part of sports going forward. Well, that's our packed podcast for the week. We'd like to thank Enid and her usual Lifestyle Minute. We would seriously like to thank Nick Saban for his perspective heading into the college football season. We'd like to thank you for giving us your time and your interest. And join us next week when we continue to keep score. Action Images is the global multimedia sports agency of Reuters. Leagues, teams and federations around the world rely on Action Images to create, distribute and monetize their content. Action Images' global footprint means sports media expertise is never far away. For more information, visit actionimages.com.